In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Christ is in our midst. He is in How about this one? Christ is transfigured. No? On Mount Tabor. That's not an official one, but it's a good one. So, Christ is transfigured. On Mount Tabor. Yes. So, today is a really rich feast day. So many themes. So many themes that it's hard to know exactly what to say. I'm going to draw a few themes from today's epistle and gospel reading. Do my best to do justice to this beautiful feast that we're celebrating. Well, first of all, God bless you all for coming. Thank you for braving the traffic and warm weather and everything to be here. It's a joy to be here with you. Today is fulfilled the word spoken by the Lord in the previous chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. You may remember what he said in Matthew 16. He said, There are some standing here who shall not taste death until they have seen the Son of Man come in His kingdom. Many have thought that that meant that He would return. That it would be His return and His final judgment. But not so. The orthodox understanding of that is that it was a preparation for the manifestation of God at the transfiguration. So this word of Christ was fulfilled, what he just said, just in the previous chapter. One of the themes that I like to bring out often and that we see throughout the New Testament, which is definitely present here, is the theme of darkness and light. There's a juxtaposition in our own lives that creates a constant kind of conflict within us. Truth and falsehood, good and wrong, dark and light. Whether we're striving to be as those illumined, even as those striving to be illumined, we're constantly discovering darkness within us and having to decide what to do with it. Hopefully striving to reclaim those dark places within us that belong to God. And for those who've given themselves over to darkness, see, even those who've given themselves, yet they cannot escape the light. Because I think even in the darkest place, even in the depths of Hades, right? There he is. The truth of God and the seal, the imprint of God on the life of man cannot be escaped even by the one who's seeking to escape it, doesn't have to be accepted by the person who's been created in God's image and likeness. Nonetheless, we cannot escape the seal, the image of our Creator at the depth of our very being. So I see this. Of course, this is a feast of light. He revealed His glory as light on the mountain. And it's a spectacular feast. But the light of God isn't meant just to be a spectacle, I don't think. What's the value of purpose of being able to see with our physical eyes? I think we have enough with spectacles in our day and age. 
as I heard a Greek saying once, many lights, but no light. You've probably heard me say this before. We live in a day and age of many lights. Everything is illuminated. But nothing's truly illumined. See? We can put light wherever we want it, just flip the switch. But the light of God's not just to be a spectacle. In the case of the disciples, they were granted to see, we hear in the Kentuckian, they were granted to see that they might be strengthened for their impending trial. The Kentuckian says, Thou was transfigured on the mount, and thy disciples, insofar as they were able, beheld thy glory, O Christ God, so that when they should see thee crucified, they would remember that thy suffering was voluntarily, voluntary and could declare that all the... To all the world, and could declare to all the world that, that thou truly art the effulgent splendor of the Father. They were able to see that, that they might be strengthened. But I don't think that was the point of their seeing. The account of the transfiguration, as I was thinking about it, caused me to recall the beautiful words of St. John the Evangelist in his epistle. He said, we shall see him as he is. We shall see him. That's definitely what happened in this moment. They came to see him as he is. Among the patristic uh, commentaries, it's common to hear not that Christ was really changed before them, but actually they were enabled to see him as he is. They were allowed, they were illumined. The scales fell, were, fell from their own eyes. We're always talking about vision and perception. We're talking about the, the nous as our faculty of perception, which is often translated as mind, but means so much more. The darkness of their perception was removed, and they were able to see the splendor of Christ as he truly is. What an incredible prospect to consider that we might see God as he truly is, no longer through our own solely lens of perception, through our own darkened news. Reminds me of the, the old um, adage, I've seen the light. You know, I, can, I had a conversion experience. I've seen the light. Like, I'm there. I've landed. To see the light, but is, is to see the light the aim. Is to see the light, is to behold as a spectacle the glory of God. Even the uncreated light, is that the goal of the Christian life? Is that the goal of our relation to our Savior? And as I was kind of exploring this in my mind, between managing my kids and changing diapers and things today, I started thinking about a few correlations. I remembered St. Simeon. St. Simeon, we say his prayer during Vespers every time, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace. According to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Mine eyes have seen thy salvation. But, but even Simeon did not ascend to heaven after his departure from the earth, even though to see the Savior was 
fulfilling enough for him. That wasn't the fulfillment of God's purpose in the incarnation and in the manifestation of himself. See, the captives of Hades had not yet been freed. The ascension, the resurrection and the ascension of God in the flesh and the bestowal of the Holy Spirit had not yet taken place. One of the reasons I love St. Simeon is because he was so patient and he was willing to wait. I won't tell his story, but he was willing to wait and wait and wait to see the fulfillment of the promise that God had given him that he would behold the Savior. How joyous he must have been when he encountered the Savior who descended into Hades to bring him forth with all the righteous ones who had gone down before. Can you imagine the glory having just beheld this, the Son of God in his arms and saying, Let us thou thy servant depart in peace. And then to see the man, the God-man, once again. And then to be beheld by him. See, to be, to be drawn forth by Christ. The Simeon who waited to, be, to hold on to the Savior and to say that's enough. To be taken up in the arms of Christ. But our goal is not back to this. Is it enough to see? Is it enough to perceive the uncreated light? Just like... Um, To say, I've seen the light isn't enough. See, our goal isn't to have a positional relationship with God. A positional relationship. It's not just uh, to see the morning dawn, as is said in today's epistle reading. I have it buried in here. Here it is. Until the day dawns, until the day dawns, he says, you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns. But, but then he goes on to say, until the morning star arise in your hearts. Until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. And now see it in this little tagline of today's epistle reading. I think we start to see what this is all about. So in the epistle of St. John, we heard, we shall see him as he is. But do you know the context of that line? In his epistle, we shall see him as he is. No? It's a good one. Here's the entire sentence. St. John says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But when we know... Excuse me, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We shall be like him. To be like him is the goal, is to be illumined. Not just to become a spectator of light, but to become a receptacle of light. But then not only to become a receptacle of light, but to become a source of light. Not in and of ourselves, but on account of him who revealed himself as light, the very light of the world. That one who said, also, you are the light of the world. This is our calling. Reminds me of 
uh, a little section from the Orthros of the Feast of Transfiguration, a beautiful piece of poetry. Thou hast infatuated me by longing, O Christ, and hast transformed me by thy divine passion. Burn thou therefore my sins by an immaterial fire, and make me worthy to be filled with thy bliss, so that rejoicing in both, I may magnify thy presence, O good one. Thou hast infatuated me by thy longing, O Christ. Burn away my sins by the immaterial fire of your glory. Only then can we be made worthy of the bliss of life in Christ. And then, so that rejoicing, I may magnify thy presence. How do we do it? I can't sum it up all in one homily. I find significance in the descent of God, in the, uh, the, holy, the presence of God as a cloud. And if we're familiar at all with the Old Testament, we know that the presence of God as a cloud is a reference to his glory. Shekinah, or Shekinah, glory, the presence of a cloud. There's something interesting about that luminous cloud. And I think it reveals a little bit to us about how we begin to experience the fulfillment of what it is that's revealed to us in this feast. The cloud of the glory of God is both revealing, but also disorienting. It's both revealing and disorienting, as is our venture into the mystical life in Christ. And we're all called to enter into the mystical life in Christ. We're all called to enter into the mystical life in Christ. Not just those ascetics who are on whatever church or monastery has been built on Mount Tabor, for example. Or those Athenite ones. But to be longing, to, be in, to long and to be infatuated by that God who desires not only to allow us to see him as he is, but to be like him. To be like him. To enter into the cloud of the mystery of God is our calling. I also find it helpful that in the gospel account, they fell down flat on their faces when they encountered God. You know, um, I think this is also a good example for us of how we often need to approach God. A lot of times we're seeking to go up, but really oftentimes we need to go down. <laughs> you know, we need to get down on our knees. We need to get down on the ground, get, up, get on our faces before God, that his glory might be revealed in us as those who are unworthy yet being made worthy on account of his incarnation to become vessels of his glory. The destruction of the passions in our lives. We're constantly trying to work out our salvation. We're constantly trying to find those dark places and rid ourselves of them, unveil them, that they might be like, like a coal enlivened with the heat of a flame, that, that we might become burning and bright and glorious with God's glory. The destruction of the passions in itself can be a witness, but even more, but even more, 
we're called to be sources of light, to become sources of this very light of God that he revealed on the mountain of Tabor. We have to remember that the transfiguration can never be divorced from the cross. Remember the words of the Kentuckian. They beheld his glory as far as they were able so that when they should see him crucified, they would remember that his suffering was voluntary. And he made it clear throughout the lives of the, uh, throughout his life and his ministry that we should encounter, uh, expect hardship. We should be prepared to take up our crosses and bear them. That we might be like him and see him as he is. So those are a few thoughts on this blessed, joyous feast day. May we, may we be granted the illumination and knowledge of the everlasting light of the Savior transfigured on Tabor in his glory, of his Father from all eternity, his life-creating Spirit, whom are one radiance, one Godhead, one glory, and kingdom and power now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen.